Hey, Sean here, and welcome back to Some Assembly Required, the podcast that explores the connection between our brains and our well-being. <laughs> <laughs> That's Dr. Kirsten van Heerden. And let me just add to that, you're absolutely Kirsten right. is a sports psychologist at the Newton Sport Agency. Her passion for sport and performance psychology comes from her background as a South African swimmer. In this episode, Kirsten and I discuss so much from how to pick yourself up after a negative experience, how it is that high performers tend to attach their sense of self-worth to their performance and how mental toughness can sometimes be confused and mixed up with mental health, which really isn't great for your well-being. So what do you say we get into it then? This is Some Assembly Required. Roll the tape. Kirsten, what would you say is a psychology lesson that you wish... You had fully grasped while you were still competing on the world stage. Yeah, it's such a great question because I think, you know, for all of us, we have to go through experiences very often until we until we learn. But I often think, oh, maybe if only I'd, I wish I knew when I was 20, you know, kind of what I what I know now. But, you know, probably the, the one sort of skill that I that I teach a lot to athletes now that I probably could have been a lot better at is this idea of being able to really mindfully be in the moment. And I think for me, if that was a skill that I, I, I got it right sometimes, but other times not. But if I'd really practiced that ability to be in this moment and not skip ahead to the outcome, you know, just fully focus on the process. I think that would be something that I, I wish that I'd been better at, you know, and that I'd learned uh, more of how to do when I was competing. And that has got to be a really difficult skill. How do you stay mindful and stay in the moment? I mean, it's something that so many of us struggle with our day-to-day lives. Yeah, no, <laughs> we could talk for a whole hour just on, on this. So it, it is a struggle. And I think probably the first thing is really just recognizing how our brains work and understanding that our brains generally do. They, under pressure, we shift focus onto a lot of very unhelpful things. And, you know, really the skill is being able to recognize when our mind is wandering from what we're not wanting to think about. You know, this time traveling, as I say, and recognizing a lot of mental skills is more just a recognition of what am I thinking? What am I feeling? And we're surprisingly bad at actually knowing what we're thinking and feeling, you know, especially in the moment. And then, yes, to be able to say, all right, I understand. And of course, I don't want to lose. Or of course, I want to get that time. You know, of course, I want to be selected for the team. It's always that acknowledgement of what you want. But then, yes, it's been able to say, okay, but what can I control? What can I do? And it's for me, it's also wrapping my head around this. The more I want that outcome, the more I have to just learn to shift my focus onto my process and what I can control and what I can do. Uh, but it's not easy that. And I think it takes a number of years to really get uh, skillful at noticing our minds wandering and, and bringing it back. Your book, Waking from the Dream, it showcases top athletes as they transition from the competitive arenas to a somewhat, air quotes, normal life. What is normal, really? What did you find to be a common thread among the athletes that you spoke with? You will notice if you read the book, a lot of them are quite good news stories in many ways. Some are, some are not, but like all the athletes sort of managed to be okay in the end, which is great. And that's the message that we want to put out there. But, you know, a lot of the athletes that really battled didn't want to speak to me. So, you know, that's that's the other side of it. You know, so I managed to get like a, a section, you know, a subsection of athletes that did transition well. But probably, 
uh, some of the common themes in this transition from sport, as you say, to, as you say, like normal life or being, and I say that because so often when you speak to athletes, they'll make a distinguish between, distinguish between themselves and normal people. <laughs> they'll be like, normal people don't do this. Um, and they say, what is normal? But the thing that most battled with initially was uh, lack of structure because you your life I mean you know with swimming like your life is so structured you know exactly what you need to do every single day that you wake up generally someone's telling you what to do your coach tells you what to do or the management of the team tells you what to do there's a very set program in terms of if I want to go to the Olympic Games I know I need to do this time I know I need to reach this goal by a certain point I know that there are these competitions it's all laid out for you and when you wake up and you now have to decide for yourself what to do every day and really importantly, what, what dream do I have beside, you know, the sporting dream? Because without this other new goal, like it's very difficult to create any kind of structure to your day because what's driving the structure? So a lot of athletes, the common theme was initially to wake up. There was a bit of freedom, don't be wrong, for the first maybe week or two, it was amazing. But then you feel like you're in limbo or and you kind of say they battle to, to create the structure in their life. Those that did it better were those ones that did have an idea about what they wanted to do and had sort of something else that they could walk into. But probably the top thing was was that. Then, of course, this issue of identity. Um, again, some better than others, but there was some struggle to redefine themselves afterwards. Even those that really looked forward to, uh, you know, to retirement, it was still this idea of so many other people would be like, hey, you're the swimmer or hey, you're the rugby player. Um, yes, but who else am I? You know, so that identity was a, a big struggle for them. Yeah, I, I can talk lots more about that, but those are probably, I say, the two. And then, well, maybe a third one, this idea of success as well, how to define success, because you've been so used to, again, a very definite outcome. I some time, I can see I'm progressing. I make a team. And how do you then define success in business or in life that is not so concrete? So that was also a common theme that athletes had really kind of wrapped their heads around. I mean, the book discusses moving from a competitive arena into retirement. So then what advice are you giving, Kirsten, to athletes in the competitive arena when they are facing uncertain times where they just don't know what to expect next? The best advice that I can give the athletes that I, you know, that I work with is, and I know it sounds like it's a kind of a all my card type of thing, but we really have to focus on the things that you can control. And we, I think we all found that you know, during COVID, people were saying, you know, when is it going to end? What's going to happen? How is it? And the problem is we just don't know. We, we just don't know. And so when we get caught up in these uncertainties and these uncontrollables, it just drives this anxiety. And I'm not saying, again, you have to like these uncontrollables but we all have them. And again, I spoke about shifting focus. You know, how do we just shift back to, but what, so what can I do? Yes, you can't go training, but what can you do at home? You don't know that the Olympic Games is definitely going to go ahead. You don't even know if you're going to compete even when you're there because maybe you get tested positive for COVID on the day of your race. You know, but it's, so, you know, that's, it's just, it's, it's crazy, as you say, to have to deal with this. But again, when our mind shifts onto that, oh, we can just go down this rabbit warren of thoughts that are just incredibly unhelpful. So, Again, I'll come back to always acknowledge, but then back to it's completely uncontrollable. And I think the problem for a lot of athletes and probably a lot of people, we kind of include myself, control freaks, <laughs> where we want to control everything. And it's really helping athletes make peace with the fact that there are these uncontrollables in life. But then what can you control? And let's make sure we do that really, really well. Is there any evidence that shows that thinking positively can change our perspectives? 
you know, I, I'll say up front, and anyone that knows me or works with me knows I don't necessarily like just positive thinking. Um, you know, and I think the term that sometimes gets used now is toxic positivity. Be positive and it'll all be fine. Like, it's, it's not that simple. And yes, you might be trying to think positively. The back of your mind, you're still stressed. There's still very real difficulties that you're having to, um, to face. So, yes, sometimes our thinking, but linked to our behavior, can and has to have effect on our um, perspective. But it's what thinking. And you say, I don't want positive thinking. We want correct thinking. So how do we think correctly about what we're doing? And it's often either positive or negative. It's actually pretty neutral almost as we about the controllables. Yeah, it's positive perspective, you know, positive thinking, I don't think works. And I don't think actually changes anything. Think correctly about a situation like this, what is correct? Well, what can I control? Let me focus on that. What, what perspective can I take that helps me in this situation? And yes, maybe it's a more positive perspective. Maybe I can say that. Um, it definitely has an impact on, on, on how we say we, and how we view the world. Um, but it's also linked to behaviors. You know, often we leave that out as psychologists, you know, like you want to change your thinking, but we also need to change our habits and our behaviors. Um, you know, and someone said to me once, you know, anxiety lives in our habits. And what we mean by that is, you know, when you, um, anxious, we often habitually do something. So do you even know what you're doing when you are anxious? And then how do you kind of break that cycle? So instead of this habit, how do we, form a new habit. So I think you have to work both on the thoughts and the behaviors, but say not just positive. Often we talk about optimism rather, and essentially optimists always acknowledge the reality of the situation, which you must, um, and the facts of the situation. But then it's this belief that I'm pretty sure if I keep doing some things, that I can affect some positive change in the future. So you want to be optimistic, not just positive. I like that reframing of it. So I was going to ask you what there would be in terms of uh, the dangers possibly in adopting a positive mindset. But instead, I kind of want to think about how maybe through the years we've been looking at always drawing up a, a pros list and a cons list. And then somewhere in our brains, we think, well, the one as a pro is a positive thing and the one as a con is a bad thing. So I want more positives. But I, I really like this idea of being optimistic but at the same time, understanding the reality that you're you're working within. Absolutely. As you said, like, where do we, just because it's a pro, it doesn't necessarily mean that's positive, but we link it to that. And it's the same with emotions. I think we, we talk about positive emotions or negative emotions. And some emotions are maybe just more uncomfortable, but it's very appropriate. You know, like, let's say some stress, people have been stressed out. Like, it's uncomfortable to feel that. But no wonder you are. And, you know, our emotions can can tell us something. It tells us about, you know, what we value in life, what's meaning, what's going on around us. You know, and so we also, we just think, well, I must just have positive emotions only, you know, positive thoughts only. Well, as human beings, we have the whole width and breadth of, you know, emotion and thought. And it's kind of like saying, well, we're only going to, like, there's just blue. Well, no, there's many, many different shades of blue. There's just this, you know, we need to have the nuances of emotion. But if we label it as a negative emotion, then we want to get rid of it. Um, and maybe going back to some of your question around um, with COVID, a lot of uh, it's almost experienced like a grief process because, you know, you, yeah. you're you losing, you know, like this, uh, your, your goals, you know what I mean? Or, you know, the loss of a future that you thought you were going to have. And in that moment, grief is, is a really tough emotion and we'd label it as a negative and people want to take it away. But you have to feel that, like, of course. And it, it is it is incredibly sad and we have to more help you through that grieving process. So I think, yeah, it's not, not helpful when we label things as 
negative or positive. It should be more like comfortable or uncomfortable or helpful or unhelpful. Sure. And I think to echo on that grieving situation, some people may have lost a job or a particular idea that was going to happen. And it's appropriate for them to grieve that just as it would be appropriate for somebody to to grieve the loss of an of a family member. Um, sometimes we think, well, I can't possibly be grieving about a job that I've lost to the same extent as a family member. But you are dealing with the emotions, as you say, and you do need to go through that gauntlet to be able to get to the other side. I think there's a lot that happens in that process uh, to set you up better for, for future endeavors. Absolutely. People mean very well when they want to, I say, take it away from you. Again, this is when people are like, just be positive, it'll all be fine in the end. And I say, it's actually just, it's unkind because it's really, people don't intentionally be unkind, but it's unkind in that it's not really acknowledging the reality of that person. And as you say, like a loss of a job, it's, or the loss of a goal, loss of a dream. And I say, athletes also say, well, it's just the Olympic, you know what I mean? Like there's bigger, bigger problems in life. You're like, well, for this person, it's incredibly meaningful. Um, and, and so it's, it's a loss. And so we grieve the loss. You say these hierarchies that we have in our head, but, you know, and I get losing someone, you know, if someone passes away, it is very difficult, but it's no less meaningful to someone when they lose their job or say a goal that they had. Yeah, I hear you. For a sports psychologist, I just want to see if I understand the terms correctly or if they are different. We're talking about thinking positively, but how does mental strength or mental toughness differ from thinking positively? Yeah, it's a great question that I think, you know, and even recently I've been doing some more reading on even this term mental toughness and saying it's quite a, um, it's almost got like this militaristic kind of thing of just tough it out, you know, and just keep going and kind of batter through things. And people are saying maybe we should rather use the word uh, mental flexibility. Okay. And as recently saying to someone, you know, if you think about, uh, like I was using rugby as an example, you know, when guys score tries, like generally the, the, <laughs> The job is to try and go between defenders. You know what I mean? You're running through spaces. You're not just running head on into, you know, guys that are tackling you. You can, but you're going to get pretty tired. So we we don't batter through things. Yeah. Like we want to be able to, it's great. Like you need to maneuver around it. And so, yeah, I think say mental flexibility, if we want to use the word mental toughness, it comes back to again, the, the, the best athletes in the world are generally the ones that say that, that know, the facts of the situation. They don't ignore the facts of the situation because only when they actually acknowledge it are they able then to better to better cope with it. And say positively is just you tend to ignore the reality and that's never helpful. Or athletes will say as an example, no, I'm not nervous, Kirsten, when they're actually really, really nervous. Yeah. <laughs> and I have so many people saying to me like apologizing for a doubt or put that Christmas, sorry, I know I'm thinking negatively or you're like, my goodness, it's your thought. It's okay. Don't apologize for thinking this. This is going to happen. So for me, mental toughness, again, is much more of or mental flexibility, if you want to call it that. As you said earlier, insight into what am I thinking? What am I feeling? We don't be afraid of our thoughts. We don't be afraid of our emotions. But then developing the, the, the skill set and the mental tools to be able to navigate your way through it. Mm. And, and, and staying on mental toughness and flexibility, elite athletes are renowned for being mentally and i'm going to say tough because that's how that's at least what we see as a spectator right i'm seeing somebody standing at the starting blocks uh, on a hundred meter track or i'm seeing a team of rugby players take to the field and you can see there there's something about their focus they're so right there if it's not the natural disposition of an athlete what sort of effect is adopting this i'm going to say persona because sometimes we have to fake it till we make it what is 
what does adopting that sort of persona have on an athlete or or anyone that sort of stonewalls through things? What what is the effect of that trait? Yeah, like it's you know, as you say, like some you know, some athletes thrive in the competitive environment and when there's huge amounts of pressure and actually brings out the best of them. Others, as you say, it's something that they really have to work on and they have to kind of to to learn. And there is there's some real benefits to it, which is you say it can help you under really pressurized situations to execute your skills. So basically Really, if we talk about mental, executing your skill, you know, under pressure, whatever that might be, swimming across a swimming pool, passing a ball, kicking, you know, through the rugby posts. So when it counts, can you actually perform? And so, you know, developing those mental toughness skills are, um, are critical for that. And they, and they, they can somewhat transfer into life. But the, the downside to that is that we often get mixed up between mental toughness and mental health. And so athletes begin to think, well, I'm mentally tough. This is it. You know what I mean? I can't possibly have uh, any any issues, you know what I mean? Or feel sad or be battling or not coping. And um, yeah, so we've developed this idea of this is the persona. This is what it is. This is toughness. And then we've left out the side of, hey, you're a person. You're not just a player. And great that you can execute under pressure. But there's so much more to to life and being a person and being an athlete. So, yeah, I say it's, it's very good for performance, but weird enough, it can be detrimental for well-being in some respects. Mm. And understanding that, you know, like you quite already say, you're a human being. You're still going through other things. And it is that they that their job is on the world stage, I suppose. And they're constantly being looked at, at least that feeling of people are judging you. They're tracking your progress. They're understanding where you're at. They're trying to figure out what you've done so that they can improve their performance based on what you've already done. We all experience highs and lows in, in our daily life. But for an athlete, that very, may very well mean that their high is shared live with thousands of enthusiastic spectators or even on a global audience stage of, you know, of millions. And then their lows are also very much public. Can those skills of being able to deal with that pressure be taught? And let me just say you spot on. And I think there are very few jobs in the world that are as public and as emotive as a professional athlete, you, you know, like maybe politics gets people emotive, but you know, like if I mess up in my job, like the athletes that I work with maybe knows, you know what I mean? Or here I mess up in this podcast, we can just edit it out and it's great, you know, but, yes. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. The highs and lows, you're, you're lying now with social media as well. I mean, goodness, like your life is laid bare, you know, in front of, uh, you know, just you say hundreds of thousands of people and everyone feels like that they have this right to, to you as a, as an athlete. Um, so for sure, those skills can be taught, you know, and I feel very strongly that these are skills that should be being taught from, from a young age, obviously age appropriately. I don't think a six-year-old should be sitting in a sports psychologist office, but I think, you know, six-year-olds that are, you know, learning to play like age appropriately, teach them different breathing techniques that they can help if they're getting nervous, you know, butterflies in their tummy, what do they do? You know, and then you build one with that. I find it much more difficult when that comes at like 22, 23, and now like, okay, now we have to, you know, develop some of these skills. So, you know, I think that this should be part and parcel of um, stuff that we're teaching children at school. And so often athletes will say, Kirsten, people say, well, just, um, just be confident. And you say, well, just believe in yourself. Or, and I was like, but how? Like, how do I do this? You know, and I was like, the how? You know, but if you've already got these sort of bad habits of thinking, it's a little bit tougher to undo them. But, yeah, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think it could be taught. But let me just say, for sure, some athletes just uh, say naturally part of their personality. They just, I say, they're competitors. And, and those are, those are the 
few and far between and they're incredible, but vast majority of athletes and people, we need to get taught these skills and practice them. And that's the beauty of it. They are skills. You can learn them and practice and get better at them. Social media, I think, has created a lot of, and you would know better, a lot of mental strain and a lot of pressure on a variety of individuals. Um, and I'm sure the sports arena much the same. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it, it, it does. And I mean, I'm not anti-social media at all. Like I, it's a great tool to, to use, but it absolutely comes with many pitfalls as well. And I'll never forget, it was probably about two years ago and it happened for the first time, obviously it's happened more, where I had a young athlete speak to me about her Instagram posts and that um, someone else had got more likes, even though they posted the same photo. You know, it was a big thing. Whatever, I got 17 likes and this person got 100. It, it is, and I think for those of us that didn't grow up with social media, it seems like mm, that's a bit bizarre, but it, that is, that's how it is now. And it's really tough to live in that world. It does lead me to ask about picking yourself up after having some form of negative feedback. And how would you recommend we pick ourselves up again and go, okay, that was then, Tomorrow's another day. I know. It's hard, that, isn't it? And I think, again, when you are like high performers and you want to do well and you may be afraid of failure, and that's like, you know, all of the, and I say a lot of my work as well is just dealing with this fear of failure. Um, and, and it, you know, it's, it's almost the work is done before you fail because once then then it's kind of tough but it it is it's before like looking at and again i know it sounds so cliched and cheesy but how do we integrate this idea of failure and success together and, and what 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 does it actually mean um you know and is this really a failure or not but and as i said i know that sounds very cliched but how do you pick yourself up you know um our confidence can't possibly come just from the previous five minutes of our performance or you say the, the one pitch or you know the one race that we just lost now um a lot of our our you know confidence and trust in ourselves has to come from the preparation that we've done and maybe i'm speaking more to athletes now like if you spend so much of your time in preparation like 90 95 percent if more like of your time actually in training versus an actual real performance situation so if we're only using this performance situation as um where we're going to draw our confidence from, we, we're in trouble because we're missing out on all this other part. So, you know, how do we help athletes see that one bad performance doesn't wipe out all the skill that you've actually have developed? But it goes back to what we were saying earlier. Be be sad, of course. I often say, like, we want you to be disappointed because it's meaningful to you. We just don't want devastation. You know what I mean? And it's maybe not quite what you're asking, but how you pick yourself up, which is hard, but I think it's – it's harder, and this often happens, I say, with high performers, is that their sense of self-worth is attached to their performance. So when they don't do well, it's not just why I lost the race or we lost the rugby match. They start to feel bad about themselves as a person. And I think a lot of high performers do that. They, it, it kind of gets mixed up together. And then it's, it is. It's a lot more difficult to, to keep moving forward. Whereas if you already have this base of um, – maybe I'll just put it like this. I listened to another sports psychologist from the state speaking, and he said very often athletes think that they have to – do more in order to be more and he said actually what you want is to be more in order to do more and what he means by that often we think we need to achieve and keep achieving and this fear like drives us you know to keep achieving and then we'll be okay in the end and we want to say no like you have to know that you loved and that you respected and that you are worthy i know it sounds very psychological now but that you're worthy that's a great base now to go and explore and try and pursue the medals and the olympic dream and but from this base of you are enough because if it's if it's not from that base, you know, it can be devastating. And then and then I say it's a real struggle to kind of pick people up after that. 
talk a little bit about dynamics of a team. Can you talk me through some of the mental preparation you would have everyone do in order to be on the same page when they face a particularly big opponent? Let's say you're on the bus, you're a hockey team, and you're on the way in the bus to the tournament. You know, some athletes just want to sit at the back and listen to some music. You know, others want to be reading their book. Others want to be having a laugh and, you know, fun. But what, what happens sometimes is the person sitting at the back, generally this is what happens. You're listening to some music. People are, hey, come on, you know, like stop being so quiet. Come and join us, you know. And the person's like, just, I just want to be, you know, be by myself. And so I think for teams to really understand what their teammates need, no, they just need to sit at the back of the bus and be able to relax. That's the way that they prepare. Might not be the way that you do. Or, and coaches as well, this one size fits all doesn't really work. Like it's great to be able to have, I know that there needs to be some element of you know, team warm-ups and things like that, but we need to know your team and what to give each member because if that's if you get that right, it's so much easier then to get on and to, to perform when you're on the field. Is there such a thing as a mental reset? And if so, how would you suggest we give ourselves, and maybe how would you coach uh, and talk through the process with with athletes, blank slate, need to rethink this entire process. How do I do a mental reset to be able to start a game? I know what you're saying, like blank slate, what do I do? But I would say to answer the question, you kind of do just have to work with what you've got. And I think the best that any of us can do, we're not going to change your personality or who you are, but we can learn to manage it more effectively. And yes, we want to change some perspectives and things like that. And there's, you know, very you know, core beliefs about ourselves and, and, you know, learning about those beliefs and how they impact on our behavior. You know, very often those Corporate about ourselves, let's say I have to be perfect, otherwise I'm a complete failure. Often athletes have that. I'm not going to lie to you and say that I think we can completely get rid of that core belief about yourself, you know, but I think we just get better and better at recognizing, mm, okay, this thing is happening. It's pressing that red button of mine. You know, it's not necessarily true this and then behaving differently. Um, and I, I genuinely believe that that is, that is the process. You know, we've all got stuff that's gone on and it's is incredibly difficult just to rip that out of you and change it, you know, and I think that it's, it's not always possible, but that's not to say that you can't manage it and get better at it. And I think that's the hope for all of us. To this day, I feel I need to do more in order to be more. So I really appreciate what Kirsten had to say. In fact, make that mental shift and rather be more so that I can do more. Perhaps you can relate. I'm always keen to hear from you. So you're welcome to slide into my DMs on Instagram. Simply search for me by name. Sean Lewitz. That's S-E-A-N-L-O-O-T-S. As one of very few psychologists tasked to work with the South African Olympic team, Dr. Kirsten van Heerden has become the psychologist to many world champion athletes and teams, often needing to travel around the world in her work to help others reach their potential. Kirsten is also involved with the Girls Only Project, which was born out of a need to create a more equal sporting landscape for women within South Africa and across the African continent. Dr. Kirsten van Heerden can also be heard on the podcast Behind the Dream, sharing stories about what really goes on in the hearts and minds of professional athletes. You can check out the description of this episode for details on how to reach Kirsten on the socials and in her office. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to share it with friends and family and to subscribe to Some Assembly Required on your favorite podcast listening app. Original music by Josh Prinsloo. Production by me, Sean Lewitz. Thank you for listening to Some Assembly Required.